Chapter Twenty Nine of Buddhist Writings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ray. Buddhist Writings, translated by Henry Clark Warren. Chapter Twenty Nine, The Story of Vizaka. Part Two. Now Megara the treasurer had for a long time been favorably disposed to the sect of naked Aztecs, and urged by his feeling, though the Buddha was dwelling in a neighboring monastery, he neglected him in the festivities of his son's wedding, but determined to do the naked Aztecs an honor. So on a certain day he had some rice porridge cooked in a several hundred new dishes, and extended an invitation to five hundred of the unclothed. And when he had got them all into his house, he sent a message to Vizaka saying, "Let my daughter-in-law come and do reverence to the saints." When Vizaka heard the word saints, she was greatly delighted. For she had been converted and was a noble disciple, but when she came to the place where they were eating and beheld them, she was angry with the treasurer, and returned to her own quarters, saying reproachfully, "These persons, so devoid of shame and fear of sinning, cannot be saints. Why did my father-in-law have me summoned? Why, O、oh、householder, did you not find someone else for a daughter-in-law?" You have introduced into your house an arrant misfortune breeder, a discipline of the monk Gotama. Make haste and have her expelled from the house. It is out of the question, thought the treasurer, for me to expel her just because these men tell me to do so. She is from too powerful a family. And he dismissed them, saying, "Your reverences, young people sometimes act without knowing what they are about." Hold your peace. Then he sat down on a costly seat, and began to eat the sweet rice porridge from a golden bowl. At that moment, a Buddhist elder on his begging rounds entered the house. Vizaka was standing, fanning her father-in-law, and saw him, and thinking, it would not be fitting for me to announce him to my father-in-law. She moved off in such a way as to call his attention to the elder. But the foolish, unconverted man, although he saw the elder, made as if he did not see him, and with head bent down, he kept on eating. Pass on, reverend sir," said Vizaka, when she perceived that her father-in-law made no sign, notwithstanding he had seen the elder. My father-in-law is eating stale fare. The treasurer. Although he had borne with the talk of the naked Aztecs, the moment she said he is eating stale fare, removed his hand from his bowl and exclaimed, "Take away this rice porridge and turn the girl out of the house! To think that she should accuse me, and in a time of festivity too, of eating anything unclean!" But all the slaves and servants in the house belonged to Vizaka, who was there to seize her by hand or foot. There was not one who dared so much as open his mouth. Father said, "Fizaka, after listening to him, I'll not leave so easily as you seem to think. 
I am not a common prostitute, picked up at some river-bathing place, and daughters whose parents are still living are not turned out so easily. Now my father has provided for this very case. When I was starting to come hither, he summoned eight householders and put me in their charge, saying, If any charge of sin be made against my daughter, investigate it. Have these men summoned and established my guilt or innocence? She speaks well, said the treasurer, and had the eight householders summoned. Said he, This young girl, when I was seated, in a time of festivity, eating rice porridge from a golden bowl, said I was eating what was unclean. Find her guilty and turn her out. Dear girl, is it so, as he says? That is not as I say. But when a certain elder on his begging rounds came and stood in the doorway, my father-in-law, who was eating sweet rice porridge, paid no attention to him. Then I thought, my father-in-law is not acquiring any merit in this existence, but is consuming old, stale merit. So I said, Pass on, reverend sir, my father-in-law is eating stale fare. Now, what fault is there of mine? There is none. Our daughter speaks justly. Why are you angry with her? Sirs, granted that this is no fault, but one night, in the middle watch, she went out behind the house, accompanied by her male and female slaves. Dear girl, is it so as he says? Good sirs, I went for no other reason but that I thought when a thoroughbred mare was bringing forth in this very house, it would not do to sit still and make no sign. So I had my slave girls take torches and went and caused the mare to receive the attention suitable for a time of falling. Sir, our daughter does in your house work that is unfit even for slave girls. What fault can you discover here? Sirs, granted that here also there is no fault. Her father, however, was admonishing her at the time she was starting to come hither, and gave her ten admonitions of a deeply hidden meaning, and I do not understand them. Let her tell me their meaning. For instance, her father said, The indoor fire is not to be taken out of doors. Is it possible, pray, for us to get on with our neighbours without ever sending fire to their households? Is it so, as he says, dear girl? Good sirs, my father did not mean that by what he said, but this is what he meant. Dear girl, if you notice any fault in your mother-in-law, or your father-in-law, or your husband, do not tell of it outside in someone else's house. There is no worse fire than this. Sir, so be it. But her father said, Outdoor fire is not to be brought within doors. Would it be possible, if our indoor fire were to go out, for us not to fetch the fire from outside? Is it so, as he says, dear girl? Good sirs, my father did not mean that by what he said, but this is what he meant. If any of your neighbours, whether male or female, speak ill of your father-in-law or of your husband, do not bring their talk home and repeat it by saying, So-and-so has this or that to say of you, for there is no fire comparable to this fire. 
Thus, in this point also, she was guiltless. And as in this case, so also in the others, and the following is their purport. When her father said to her, Give only to him who gives, he meant, Give only to those who give borrowed articles back again. And, Give not to him who does not give, meant, Give not to those who do not give back again what they borrow. Give both to him who gives and to him who does not give, meant, When your needy relatives and friends come to you, you should give to them, whether they are able to repay you or not. Sit happily, meant, When you see your mother-in-law, or your father-in-law, or your husband, you should rise and not keep your seat. Eat happily, meant, You should not eat before your mother-in-law, or your father-in-law, or your husband. You must eat after you have waited on them, and they have been helped to everything they wish. Sleep happily meant, do not ascend your couch to lie down to sleep before your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, or your husband. But when you have done for them all the different services which should be done, you can afterwards yourself lie down to sleep. Wait upon the fire meant, you should look upon your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, and your husband, as if they were a flame of fire, or a royal serpent. Reverence the household divinities meant, you should look upon your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, and your husband, as your divinities. When thus the treasurer had heard the meaning of the ten admonitions, he was unable to find any reply, and sat with downcast eyes. The householders then said to him, Treasurer, is there any other sin in our daughter? Sirs, there is none. Then, if she is guiltless, why did you attempt without cause to turn her out of doors? Good sirs, said Vizaka at this point in the discussion, although at first it was not fitting that I should leave at the command of my father-in-law, yet now that you whom my father appointed to try charges which might be brought against me have found me guiltless, it is a good time to go. So saying, she gave orders to her male and female slaves to get ready the carriages and make the other necessary preparations. Dear girl, I spoke in ignorance. Pardon me, said then the treasurer, speaking half to the householders. Good sir, I do pardon you all there is to pardon. I am, however, daughter in a family that has studied and has faith in the religion of the Buddha, and to see something of the congregation of the priests is necessary to us. If I can be allowed to wait on the congregation of the priests at my pleasure, I will stay. Dear girl, wait on your monks as much as you please, was the reply. Vizaka, accordingly, sent an invitation to the one possessing the ten forces, and on the next day received him at her house. And the naked monks, when they heard that the teacher had gone to the house of Megara the treasurer, went also, and sat down outside the house encompassing it. Vizaka, having given the water of donation, sent a message to her father-in-law. All the arrangements for the entertainment are ready. Let my father-in-law come, and wait, 
on the one possessing the ten forces. But as he was about to go, the naked Aztecs restrained him, saying, O householder, go not near the monk Gotama. So he sent back word, Let my daughter-in-law wait on him herself. When she had waited on the Buddha, and on the congregation of the priests that followed him, and the meal was now at an end, she again sent a message, Let my father-in-law come and hear the sermon. If I were not to go now, it would not do at all, said then the treasurer, for he was very desirous of hearing the doctrine. Well then, said the naked monks, when they saw he was bent on going, you may listen to the doctrine of the monk Gotama, if you will sit outside of a curtain. Then they went ahead of him, and drew a curtain around, and he went and sat down outside the curtain. But the teacher thought, Sit outside of a curtain, if you will, or beyond a wall, or beyond a mountain, or at the end of the world. I am the Buddha, and can make you hear my voice. And marching, as it were, with a mighty jambu trunk held aloft, and showering down, as it were, showers of ambrosia, he began to teach the doctrine in consecutive discourse. Now when a supreme Buddha teaches the doctrine, those in front, and those behind, and those beyond a hundred or a thousand worlds, and those, even who inhabit the abode of the sublime gods, exclaim, The teacher is looking at me. The teacher is teaching the doctrine to me. To each one it seems as if the teacher were beholding and addressing him alone. The Buddhas, they say, resemble the moon, as the moon in the midst of the heavens appears to every living being as if over his head, so the Buddhas appear to every one as if standing in front of him. This gift is said to be their reward for liberality in previous existences when, for the benefit of others, they cut off their own garlanded heads, gouged out their own eyes, tore out their own hearts, and gave away to be slaves' son, such as Jali, daughters such as Kanajina, and wives such as Madi. Amigara the treasurer, as he sat outside the curtain, and turned over and over in his mind the teaching of the Tathagata, became established in the thousandfold ornamented fruit of conversion, and acquired an immovable and unquestioning faith in the three refuges. Then, raising the curtain, he approached his daughter-in-law, and taking her breast in his hand, he said, From this day forth you are my mother, thus giving her the position of mother, and henceforth she was known as Megara's mother. And when, later on she had a son, she named him Megara. The great treasurer then let go his daughter-in-law's breast, and went and fell at the feet of the Blessed One, and stroking them with his hands and kissing them with his lips, he three times proclaimed his own name, Reverend Sir, I am Megara. Reverend Sir, continued he, all this time have I been without knowing that on you should one bestow alms to obtain great reward. But now I have learnt it, thanks to my daughter-in-law, and am released from all danger of being reborn in a lower state of existence. Truly it was for my advantage and for my welfare that my daughter-in-law came to my house. 
So saying, he pronounced the following stanza. Now have I learnt where rich reward will surely follow every gift. Truly a happy day for me, when first my daughter sought my home. Vizaka invited the teacher again for the next day on her own account, and on the day after her mother-in-law also attained to the fruit of conversion, and henceforth that house kept open doors for the religion of the Buddha. Then thought the treasurer, My daughter-in-law is a great benefactress to me. I must make her a present. And, truly, her present perua is too heavy for everyday wear. I will have a very light one made, which she can wear both by day and by night, in all the four postures. And he had made what is called a highly polished perua, worth a thousand pieces of money. And when it was finished, he invited the Buddha and the congregation of the priests, and assiduously waited on them at breakfast, and causing Vizaka to bathe herself with sixteen pitcherfuls of perfumed water, he placed her in front of the teacher, and putting her perua upon her, he had her do obeisance. Then the teacher, after giving thanks for the repast, returned to the monastery. And Vizaka continued to give alms and do other deeds of merit, and she received the eight boons from the teacher. And as the crescent of the moon waxes great in the sky, so did she increase in sons and daughters. They say she had ten sons and ten daughters, and of each had ten sons and ten daughters, and of these each also had ten sons and ten daughters. Thus the children and children's children, which had sprung from her, numbered eight thousand and four hundred and twenty persons. She lived to be a hundred and twenty years old, but there was not a single grey hair on her head. Always she appeared as if about sixteen. When people saw her on her way to the monastery, surrounded by her children and children's children, there were always those who inquired, which of these is Vizaka? Those who saw her as she walked would think, I hope she will walk a little further. Our lady looks well when she walks. And those who saw her stand or sit or lie would think, I hope she will lie a little longer now. Our lady looks well when she is lying down. Thus in respect of the four postures, it could not be charged against her that there was any one posture in which she did not look well. Moreover, she was as strong as five elephants, and the king, hearing that Vizaka was currently reported to be as strong as five elephants, was desirous of testing her own strength, and one day, as when she was on her way back from the monastery, where she had been to hear a sermon, he let loose an elephant against her. The elephant, lifting his trunk, came on to meet Vizaka. Of her five hundred attendant women, some fled away, while others threw their arms about her. And when she asked what the matter was, they replied, They say the king is desirous of testing your iron strength, and has let loose an elephant against you. When Vizaka saw the elephant, she thought, What is the need of my running away? It is only a question how I shall take hold of him. 
and, being afraid that if she seized him roughly it might kill him, she took hold of his trunk with two fingers and pressed him back. The elephant was unable to either to resist or to keep his fret, and fell back on his haunches in the royal court. Thereupon the crowd shouted, Bravo! and she and her attendants reached home in safety. End of chapter 29 Recording by Ray